And I'm going to carry on our second part of this series. Uh, last week, I spoke upon mainly from uh, the chat John 15 about abiding in Jesus and how important that actually connecting with Jesus is vitally important. And if you carry on connecting in Jesus, you will bear much fruit. And it, but it all, uh, it all hanged on that you stay connected with Jesus from John 15. And this week, I want to speak to us upon being church together and church where you are. So we're going to dive straight in there. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. This is when Jesus gathered some of his first disciples. When he gathered some of his first disciples. It should be up on the screen as well. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, whatever. He saw the two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone gone out of them and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked him to put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. So they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on his knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that had been taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So this is the thing, right? Jesus' teaching in that day was popular. It was so popular, he asked Simon to push out a boat so that he could stand on it and that he could use that in many ways as like an amphitheater and project his voice and declare to the crowds and to teach them. It would have been a, an ancient fishing boat, probably about 20 to 30 feet long. Put that in perspective, I am six foot so, you know, well, I'm six foot three. So it's like 20 foot, you know, three and a bit of me, 30 foot, six foot. So it was a large fishing boat. You could probably picture it in your minds. But Jesus tells Simon to put out the boat and to cast down his nets. This is a carpenter's son telling a pro fisherman how to do his job. This is the equivalent of me telling Bob how to cut meat. And it's not going to happen. It's someone who does not have any direct experience and is a 
pretty bad at cutting meat. To someone who was a pro at cutting meat and spent his whole life cutting meat. And Jesus is here is saying to Simon, a pro fisherman who goes out day after day catching fish. No, you need to go back out because this time you're going to catch some fish. Imagine someone telling you how to do your job. You know, our defensives go up, right? We're like, well, who are you? What is your resume? What right do you have to tell me how to do my job? What are your credentials? We, we probably all do it to a certain extent. When we think we know something, we've done something. And, but Simon's response is so against, in many ways, the norm. He does what Jesus says. He gets back into his boat. He goes out, and we probably all know the story so very well. And he goes out, and he catches so, so many fish that the boat starts to sink. Well, first, he actually calls in another boat. And as he calls another boat, the, the boats to start to sink. See, the result is success, but also disaster at the same time because they're sinking. See, Jesus has guided Simon to a great catch. And it was being led by the voice of Jesus that Simon received a great catch. It was going against Simon's better judgment to tell Jesus, who are you, a carpenter's son, to tell me, a pro in my field, what to do? See, besides Jesus' teaching and miracles, Jesus' ministry centered around his disciples. And this story confirms the, the, the core of his first, some of, I think it's his first, four disciples to come and serve him. In this passage, there is miracles, teaching, and a discipleship. And this was about who is qualified for mission. Jesus performs a miracle. But in verse 10, he turns the entire miracle into a picture of mission. Because for them, they were just so happy to get their fish. Because remember, in those days, the fish was their livelihood. It was the food they put on the table. It, paid, it gave them money to be able to feed their family. So for them, they were like, yes, we've got enough fish to go and potentially maybe eat or sow on. But for Jesus, he turned the picture around and said, it's not just about the miracle. This is about mission. This is about a great catch of people that you can catch. Jesus gathering his disciples was not unusual in his time and in Jewish setting. See, many rabbis in those days would gather students around them to teach the Torah. So in many ways, it's not different. But the kind of disciples Jesus gathered was unusual. Many rabbis would bring in maybe be people that loved to debate, people that knew the Torah well. But Jesus, he gathers people, you know, like the fishermen, tax collectors, former revolutionaries. He just brought in people that were plain old sinners, shall we say. People that didn't get it right. 
And this was not the norm of the day because the rabbis would say, no, no, I'm gathering the people that would be the, the elite of their, of, their, uh, of, their, of, their, um, of their work. See, Jesus' call is to come and follow me, but to also to go and make disciples. See, the first bit is to come and follow me. See, this is our, in many ways, church together. Jesus' call to follow him is for all humanity. It's for every single race, every gender, sexuality, everyone who has a different career. It's for every family circumstance you have, past or present. They all are part of what Jesus wants to be his followers. He picked the rich, the poor, the marginalized, the sick. He picked the powerful, the powerless. And he said, come and follow me. And we as people, as disciples of Jesus, should never forget our roots. That we were once not following him. And he said, come. Like he said to those four disciples, we were living in many ways in different things. And we should never forget that we were once lost and blinded. But because of Jesus, everything changes. He calls each one of us to come and to follow him. We gather together as the church. It is a gathering of the disciples of Jesus. See, the church for us, we are the body. We are the people of God. This is a family. The church is not something you go to, but a family you belong to. And this is why prayer meetings, prayer gatherings are so important because actually it's not something you're going to. You're going, well, it is something you're going to in a literal sense, but you're coming because you're praying for your family. You're praying for each other, and we're praying for you because we're in it together. The church is where you find your place and your purpose in the family of God. You find your meaning, your reason for existence as in the church because the church is the together, the gathering of the disciples of Jesus. And there's nothing like the church in this world. When we meet together on Sundays or life groups or one-on-one, there's nothing like it. You ever walked into a, a work meeting and you've been like anxious about it? You ever walked into a place where you think, I don't really want to be around these people? Well, I hope in the church you're, you're thinking, I'm so, so glad I'm with people that set me for who I am. I'm so glad I can just come and, you know, it doesn't really matter what you wear really. Well, just, just wear something. But you've got to wear something. But it doesn't matter what you wear. You don't need to dress up. You know, you don't need to look a certain way. You don't need a certain way of saying things. You know, we get into our own traditions, but we don't need that. You know, but the church is just an incredible thing that you come as you are and you get to experience Jesus. And we want our times, and we want to be intentional about this. We want to be focused on being encouraging that when we come together, whether that is, as I said before, life groups or Sundays or one-on-one, that we're encouraging one another. I want to encourage you. We want to ask for a life-changing encounter. I want you all to experience the power of God. 
I can just say words to you, but God can meet with you. God can transform lives and situations. We want this to be accessible. We want to say anyone's welcomed. Yeah, you might have made the projector, the picture up there. But this is church. We want it to be a launch pad. We can equip each other for our everyday lives. I want you to go out this morning feeling ready to go for another week. And this is like when we had our church day out, that's what church is about as well. Coming together, having fun, growing, eating. This is what church is about. Our gatherings of opportunities to come as you are here and encounter the message of Jesus and the person of Jesus. You walk away encouraged, ready for the the week ahead, whether that's with your family, your friends, your workplaces, wherever God has called you to be. A place where relationships with one another are real, where you can share your life. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together and were glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, this is the bread and butter of church. This is, in many ways, the foundation of church, the theology of church. You know, this is, this is exciting. Let me just go back to the previous thing. This is exciting. You know, they, they came together and they were teached. They broke bread and they prayed. They were filled with all the many wonders. We want to see the wonders amongst us. We want to see the power of God. They, they had everything in common. They shared things. They went to people's homes and broke bread and shared food. You know, and they were added to number daily. This, is, this sounds good, right? Yeah. This is what we want. We want it to be accessible. We want to grow. We want to eat together. We want to, uh, be, to pray and we want to see the power of God. And you know, sometimes we can read this and think that was great for 2,000 years ago. But today, do we really get this? I wonder sometimes it's our faith levels. Because what if, right, what if I could say next Sunday, I guaranteed everyone who works for his door would be healed. You would go out and get everyone who's sick, right? If you trust me that much, that's it. If you trust me that much. But what if Jesus was here and said, I will heal everyone? You would just bring people in. You would say, you, you sick? Come, come to church. You're going to be guaranteed or you're going to get healed. And we want the presence of God. We want there to be an expectation that people are going to meet with God. They're going to be healed. They're going to hear the voice of God. They're going to experience God. There's a life-changing moment. We want this kind of church. Yes, we have to apply it to our culture and our day 100%. But this today can work. We should never lose the heart of thinking it just works 2,000 years ago. No, this works today so that we can grow as disciples and we can get added in number. This is church together where disciples come together on planet Earth. And be the church. 
But the call right at the beginning of that story, when Simon uh, put down the nets, the picture was for mission as well. There was a call to go out and make disciples. There's another great story where Jesus healed many people in Mark chapter 5. You can turn there. Actually, I have it on the screen as well. And the context of this is Mark chapter 4. I don't know if you remember. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus says to his disciples, we're going to go to the other side. And they all get in the boat and then uh, Jesus goes to sleep and then the, the, there's a massive storm. The boat goes from side to side, tossing and turning. And the disciples are running around the boat. Do you remember this story? And they're frantic and they're saying, you know, they go up to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, do, do you not care? And Jesus gets up and basically says, where is your faith? And he turns to the storm and says, storm, be at peace. And then he goes to the other side, this side he was trying to go across, and he heals multiple people. The demon possessed, the sick, he's just healing people again and again. And then Luke, uh, sorry, Mark chapter 5 says this in verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, so he was going back again, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. Jesus, do not let him. So, yeah, Jesus, I have said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he had mercy in you. So the man went away and began to tell all the Decapolis how much Jesus had gone had done for him. And all the people were amazed. See, this story is amazing because Jesus, the guy is saying, you've healed me now. Can I come back in the boat with you and go back and just, uh, and just follow you around or go to the other side? And Jesus says, go back to your home. Go to your own people. See, this man's mission was his home, was his neighbors, was the place where he worked, whether that was a fisherman or carpentry, or I don't know what it was, but it was what his job was. It was his hobbies, his passions, the ministries he got involved with. He was, Jesus says, go back to those people, your own people, and tell them what I have done in your life, and basically, I love them. So, so he's calling us and he's calling, him, he's calling him and us to say, no, no, you are church where you are, where I have called you to be. Go back to those people. Tell them everything I've done in your life. Tell them when I saved you. Tell them the miracles. Tell them how I change. I, I give you a reason to get up more. But also tell them that I love them. Tell them that I have mercy on them. Don't forget that part. Tell them the stories of you, but tell them, I think, this is Jesus' thing. He's saying, come and follow me, but also there's a mission to go out and go to our own people. This week, I was uh, with a leader from South London, and he was telling me a personal story of his. And I'm going to retell you this story he told me this week. He said about eight years ago, one of his daughters called Bethany, that's her real name, she, uh, she was leaving primary school, year six. And he went to a parent and uh, pupil uh, dance. I've never heard of this before, but apparently they do like a prom dance where the parents and the kids come together and they dance. 
I couldn't think of anything more awkward, to be honest, but they do this in London. It was about eight years ago. So, the, the, so he said he went with his daughter, and uh, he went there, and she danced, and he danced. There was other children in year six dancing, their parents dancing. And uh, one of her friends was called Natasha. She's known Natasha for a bit. And he said he managed to get talking. This is Natasha. He said he managed to get talking to Natasha. Uh, sorry, to Natasha's dad. And he said, I, I said to him what I did, that I was a, I was a leader of a church. And uh, he was an atheist. As an atheist, he said, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. Uh, and, and he couldn't hear much what he was saying because of loud music. But that was it, basically. That was, that was over. And uh, Natasha and this Natasha, Bethany, this guy's daughter I know, he said, uh, time went on, they were carried on at school, and uh, Bethany's daughter invited Natasha to youth group on Friday nights. And Natasha said, yeah, I'll come. Her parents let her come. So this guy was a leader of the church. He said, well, one of the leaders at the church, who worked for the church. He said, I'll take, uh, I will take my daughter Bethany and Natasha to youth group Friday nights. He was basically being taxi man, like a lot of parents are, to children and young people. And he said he would, every Friday night, he would take them and pick them up, take them week after week, year after year. And Natasha, they had a God slot. Natasha would hear it. And uh, Bethany's daughter would say, I don't feel like anything's happening in Natasha's life. She's not really responding. But her, at home, her parents were uh, atheists. And they were quite loud about their being atheist. And they were quite strong in their opinions. So, uh, and then it gets to a time where Bethany, his daughter, says, Natasha, do you want to come to New Day? And she said yes. She goes to New Day and she hears a message about Jesus, like she's been hearing for a long time, and she decides to respond to the gospel. And she gives her life to Jesus that day. She gives her life to Jesus. She's about, I think she's about 15 at this time, roughly 14, 15. She gives her life to Jesus. She comes home and she starts attending church every week and she's, she's following Jesus. And then uh, her, her parents say, I see a difference in her. When Natasha gets to 16 years old, uh, Natasha, uh, Bethany, my, a friend of mine, daughter, who I've been explaining about daughter, uh, they go on holiday one summer and with the father. So there's the father, Natasha, and Bethany. And this is where some of you might have heard the story in the news. Natasha takes a baguette from Prep Manger. And she gets on that plane, and it's him, her, and Bethany, my friend's daughter. They get on that plane. They were going to south of France. Halfway during that plane, 40 minutes in. Natasha complains her, her neck's a bit, you know, tightening, so she takes some antihistamines. And then she starts to, she can't breathe. So her dad takes Natasha to the toilet, you know, those really thin bits of toilets. He runs and goes and gets an EpiPen and he puts the EpiPen in her leg and she doesn't do, she doesn't, nothing happens. She's still saying, Dad, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Her dad takes her out the toilet and he puts her near, you know, those fold down um, chairs at the back near the doors. You know, you get those, he puts her there, and at the same time, the air hostess are still going backwards and forwards, selling food. She is there, and he rushes back and goes and gets another EpiPen, because they always carry two around with them. He puts it in, and nothing happens. 
This is where it gets amazing, which you wouldn't have heard on the news. Her dad, an atheist, says he sees five angels around her. Five angels. And he describes these angels. He says they're strong, but soft, yellow light. He goes, they're intense, but you didn't need to squint. And he said he lifted his right arm to push them away. And he shouts on that plane, it's not her time. He said at that moment they left and she died in that moment. See, this is an absolute tragic story, but this is a story of divine grace of God. See, now her family are all going to his church. Well, obviously the daughter's sadly died. But the family, they're all going to church. They've, it's been a journey, because this happened like two years ago now, over two years ago. Well, I can't remember when it was now. But, you know, there's been a journey. But they all go to church. They all commit. They've been baptized, and they go to church every week. And if you want to hear more about this story, if you go on to Radio 4, next slide, and type in a bright yellow light, into last December 2019, he spends, it's 37 minutes, but he tells you about his whole testimony and he describes what the angels look like. As an atheist, he sees this. See, this story is remarkable. This story started eight years ago when a young girl befriended a friend at primary school and this guy tried to talk to the dad but didn't really make anything of it. And then they invited to a youth group. Then they went to a thing. And actually, Natasha is in heaven now. And the whole family have come to know Jesus. And I don't know if you know, there's something called Natasha's Law now. And he is getting opportunities to tell his story in parliament, well, in government and in other areas of, um, other areas affecting law and stuff like that. See, in many ways, it's about owning the places we're called to be, isn't it? The schools, the, the workplaces, the family, the friends, the neighbours. And we just let God do the rest. And the thing is, we, we, like to, we like to go to our neighbor and hope for an instant transformation. But often stories are eight, ten years long. They're, they're hard work. I, I, was, um, I was out early morning on Wednesday morning watching the sunrise off Beta Park and praying. And I was walking towards the quay and I felt God speak to me because I was looking at, there were some fishing boats and then you've got the nicer boats with the sun seekers and stuff like that after that. And then you've got the, you know, you've got the big boat that goes over to Europe, France and Spain. And I felt God say to me, you are fishing for men. Look at these men because I could see them getting on their boats. They are dirty. It's messy. It's small. It's just a small boat. And actually, you know, if you want to fish for men, it is hard work. It takes a lot of time. Or you can just sit in a boat, which is like cruising a sun seeker. It's nice. It's easy. It's relaxing. And it can feel good fun, but you're not going to get any fish off a sun seeker. If you are, it's going to be very little. You need to get in the fishing boat. And actually, this, this uh, in many ways, a story is about us owning the places God has called us to own. And it's a life journey. It's a life journey. John Mark Comer says this. 
If you want the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Often we desire the peace, the joy, the hope, but you have to have the lifestyle that goes with it because the lifestyle causes you to have the life of Jesus. We are the church. If someone was to say to you, how would you describe the church? They said, what, what, what is the church? But the thing is, right, you cannot talk about your own experiences. You can only tell them from what the Bible says. You can't say your own experiences. See, we have to start with the Bible, otherwise we create something that we like, depending on our, upon our personality or character. See, we could spend our whole lives doing and speaking about church from our own experience. And we come up with a great bowl of spaghetti. But then God's like, I wanted steak. This was not the church I ordained. So what does the church like? Well, in many ways, I read the Bible and I read that actually people come and they follow Jesus. They devote their whole life to following Jesus. And, but they have a love for one another. A love like they never experienced anywhere else. They devoted to one another. And then I read that actually the power of God was present. Miracles and uh, uh, you know, provisions and healings. It was just a norm of the day. But they were also passionate about making other disciples. And you could probably make that list a bit longer. But it's so easy to think of church by our own experiences rather than just what does the Bible say? See, we want to be this kind of church. We want to be a church because it's not the building, it's the people centered around the way of Jesus. We want to be a church together, encouraging, life-changing. We're launch pad for your ready for your new week. It's accessible, but at the same time, we're saying actually what God has called you to every day, these are your mission field to catch some fish. And it might not happen tomorrow, but if you carry on building friendships, if you carry on putting seeds down, if you carry on putting out your rod over the years, you're going to see a fish being catch. But it's the lifetime of friendship. There is power in gathering and going. At the Vine Church, we want to prize both of those, that together we are the church, building each other up, but at the same time, we are church where we are. I want to end our time now by just praying for us. Father God, I thank you as you called the first disciples. You call each one of us to follow you. Whole life discipleship. I thank you that following you is never boring. It's exciting. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's always on the edge of the seat in many ways. I thank you, Father God, but there's a call to go. There's a mission to our own people. There's a mission to the places you have called us to be. And I want to pray, Father God, for each one of us in this room, that you would help us 
by your Holy Spirit uh, to be the people you've called us to be in the places you've called us to be. I thank you that you've given us the, the neighbors you've called us to live to get next to. You've given us the hobbies and the passions and the giftings on purpose. You've given us the workplaces on purpose. And Father, I pray you help us all to own those places. And Father, help us to stay there for the long term and build relationships and use the opportunities you give us to tell others our story and how much you love them. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.